0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm 20. We're going to be studying the Psalms this quarter. And uh, the idea is, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, your personal devotional life, that more of the Psalms could potentially help. And so the idea is we're going to be looking at the Psalms this quarter as how to take them, use them in your own personal devotional life to pray, to meditate, to journal, to help you worship the Lord, to use the language of Scripture when we talk to God. Uh, And so I'd recommend... The Psalms that we're using, try to incorporate them maybe throughout the week in your personal time along with the Lord. And if you want extra help with that, there's a book, it's called Bible Crawling. You can get it from the Broadwood Bookstore. You can get it off of Amazon. You don't have to get it, but if you want something that'll help you maybe go deeper in how to apply what we're talking about here, you may want to check that out. Um, and for the table leaders, I trust y'all to lead however you want to. Okay, but here would just be a little bit of advice. Once I'm done, you can discuss what we've talked about. But then when you have time of prayer... Obviously, take prayer requests if you want to, but then use the psalm to kind of pray through the psalm that we've just talked about. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, like I said, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Psalm chapter 20, and this is a psalm by David, and as you will see as we go through it, it's a psalm for the day of trouble, and probably what we have here is a psalm that really was like a little many religious worship service, so to speak, before the king and the troops went out to battle. And they were praying, the nation was gathered in the tabernacle, praying for the king and the troops before they go into battle. So I'd love you to think about this as we dive in this morning, or this afternoon. Uh, Where in life right now are you experiencing the greatest trouble? Maybe it's something with your family, maybe it's something at work, maybe it's something else. Where in your life are you experiencing the greatest trouble? And maybe if you're like, everything's wonderful right now, no, no troubles, okay? Think historically, where in your life in the past have you experienced the most trouble? Or maybe, where do you anticipate trouble coming soon? And I think if you think about this psalm in light of personal troubles, it will help you understand how to pray. Now, uh, oftentimes, what you have to remember about Israel, ancient Near East, they were typically a very small nation surrounded by bigger nations, more powerful nations, sometimes empires that were trying to conquer them, pagan nations, they felt outmatched, outnumbered, just like we often do just in normal day life. You ever wake up that way, you're just like, all I got going on and I already feel outnumbered and I hadn't even got out of bed yet, okay? The nation of Israel oftentimes felt that way. And we're going to see a pattern in this psalm that actually comes up a lot in the psalms. There's going to be prayer, there's going to be praise, there's going to be preaching. And I'll explain what I mean as we go through that, okay? But Let's look at prayer first. And it's really just the first four verses they're making request. So, Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So there's an idea there that they're saying, this is a hard day. This is a day of trouble. We're about to go into literal physical combat. We need God to show up and help us. And they say, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. In a sense, they're saying, God, we're your chosen people. You have chosen to tie your honor to our name, and so protect us as we go out into battle. I mean, have you ever said to one of your children, hey, when you go out of the house today, you have my last name, you need to represent it well, okay? Uh, And that doesn't always work out the way we plan for it to work out. But there's another sense, have you ever maybe been interviewing somebody for a position at your job? And as you're looking through the applications, the people you've got to have a phone call with, one guy's like, I recognize this guy's last name. Now, I don't know him, but I know his dad. And maybe you're like, it's not supposed to, but this guy's coming in. And in some sense, he's already going to have more favor with me because of the relationship that I have with his dad or his uncle or something like that. Make sense? And that's partially what they're praying. They're saying, hey, God, you chose us. You marked us with your name. And so we're going out to battle. Your name's on the line. And so would you, if you don't care about us, which he does care about us, but we know you care about us, care about your name, care about your reputation, fight for us because we're your people. Protect us. Look at verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. What are they praying for there? Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33, this is after the nation of Israel had built the gold calf and worshipped it instead of Yahweh, and God's like, I'm about to kill everybody And Moses, this is kind of the Olin's layman translation, okay? But Moses said, please don't kill everybody. And if you remember, part of what he prayed is, God, because they have your name. And your reputation will be ruined among the Egyptians if you just wipe them out. And God says, okay, I won't kill everybody. In fact, I'll let you still go to the promised land. But I'm so holy and the people are so sinful. If I go up with you, eventually... I won't be able to take anymore. I'll just kill him. So I'm not going to go with you, Moses, but I'll send an angel. You remember what Moses said? He's like, not good enough. I don't just want an angel. I want you. I want your personal presence. I want your personal nearness to be with us. And God said, okay. And that's what they're praying for in this psalm. God, I don't just want your blessing. I want your nearness. I want your presence to go with us. It's a great thing for us to pray when we're really struggling. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. They're in the tabernacle, they're praying, and what are they also doing? They're offering sacrifices. They know they're sinners. They know that they don't have a right to call on God and expect an answer because he is so holy and they're so sinful. But God has said, there's a way that you can appease me. There is a way that you can still have a relationship. And there are all these burnt offerings that were supposed to slaughter anim- animals. And so they're literally in the tabernacle praying. And in a sense, as their prayers are going up to heaven, so is the smoke of the sacrifice. And that was their hope. That was their confidence. God's going to hear. Even though they're wicked, even though we're sinful, even though we're not perfect, God's a merciful God. We're doing the stuff he's called us to do. He'll answer us. Look at verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. What a powerful prayer to pray for somebody. I mean, they're praying that for the king. And literally what it says is, may he answer you according to your heart. And there's a sense, guys, the idea here is to the degree, and this is not 100% true, but in general, to the degree that my heart is aligned with God, he's going to answer me. He's going to bless me. Now, but sometimes we feel like I am totally aligned with God. I feel like I'm asking for a very good thing, and He's not doing it. There's the problem of unanswered prayer. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But think about this. Imagine if you went to God and you said, Hey, God, I feel like I need a million dollars. I've got this huge real estate investment coming up that I think I need to invest in. i got all these kind of debts I'm still trying to pay off. I just feel like it's a good thing, God. I'm not wanting it selfishly, I'm going to give a lot of it to the kingdom, praying for a million dollars. And then lo and behold, God doesn't give you a million dollars, but he gives you a million dollars in gold bullion. you going to be mad, right? He didn't exactly answer you precisely the way you wanted. Okay. But oftentimes God may not go the means that we're asking him to go along in our prayers, but he gets the right end. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that we should all pray for a million dollars at lunch, although it might be interesting we try that and just see what happens, okay? But but the point is, a lot of times when you feel like you're aligned, you might not be as aligned as you think because we don't know everything God knows. Great old Scottish preacher who's dead now, a guy named Robert Murray McShane used to say, God will either give you exactly what you're asking for or he'll give you something better because that's how good he is. And if he says no to your good request, there must be a better request that he wants to give you. Keep your finger here in Psalm 20. Flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 for just a second in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to see kind of a New Testament version of a very similar prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So when there's a good resolve in your heart, it's good to say, God, I want you to fulfill this. I want you to answer this. I want you to bless this. But he might do it in a surprising way. There was one commentator I was looking at, a guy named Jared Wilson. He said, if all my plans were to succeed, there might be hell to pay, right? Right? Now, most of you probably haven't heard of Jared Wilson. Maybe you've heard of the great theologian Garth Brooks. And, uh, you know, he had a song back in the day, Unanswered Prayers. Anybody remember that one? And, and, and basically the story is, when I was in high school, there was a girl I was in love with. And I'm like, God, if you just give me this one thing, let her marry me. Everything will be right in the world. And then later, he doesn't marry her. He moves on. He marries somebody else. He runs into her later in life. He's like, thank you, God, for that unanswered prayer, right? And, and most of us can identify with that, unfortunately. We probably put a name in that song, personally, but guys, part of mature prayer is this. One of the things Pastor Reader used to talk about, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six, talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groans too deep for words. Part of what the Holy Spirit does is He edits our prayers. It's like we're talking to God the Father, like God, please do this for me. This is what I thinks best. And sometimes the Holy Spirit saying, "No, nah, no, nah, don't don't listen to that one." And so part of maturity in our christian life is that we would even pray that way we would just know hey god i'm putting all my desires in front of you that based on the brain you've given me i'm trying to use it this seems best but god i'm open-handed i'm surrendered because i'm i've been living long enough to know that i don't always know as best as i think i know does that make sense just pray that way so they start out with all these requests but now they're going to move into praise and this is really a picture, guys, of confident faith. I mean, imagine, they're in their tabernacle. you got the king. you got the troops that are about to go out to battle. They're praying for victory. They're praying for salvation. The battle hadn't even started yet. And look what they're going to start doing in verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So they're still praying, right? And lit- they're praying for victory, okay? But look at what they do in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you see what's happening in verse 6? They've already started praising. It's, it's anticipatory praise. They're like, we know. We know that you fight for your people. We know that you fight for your chosen king. We know there's going to be victory. We know that we're going to be praising you one day. And in a sense, they're already praising. It's like they can already taste it. It's, It's like a little foretaste of glory divine. Okay, It's like everybody's ordered their food. Maybe you're starting to get hungry about now. And what if the smell of the Cajun seafood started to seep out here? And it's like... I can't actually taste it yet, but it sure does smell good. And you're kind of in your heart already start to thank God for the food. That's what, guys, that's what a mature prayer life looks like. There's this begging, desperate sense of, hey, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to be ruined. And yet, God, I'm confident you're going to show up. It, it, it's a paradox. It's paradoxical praise. It's a confident cry. Yes, I'm begging but I'm also hopeful. I live in that tension. Now, with so many spiritual truths, guys, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's a ditch over here of apathy, and some reformed people can fall into it in the name of the sovereignty of God. You ever met somebody like this? Maybe you've been somebody like this? Yeah, I got a friend. He's not a Christian, but you know, I'm not going to share the gospel with him. I, it's not my job. You know, God can save him if he wants to. God doesn't need me. Well, technically, that's true. But you can't read the Bible and honestly come away with that application. That's apathy. God didn't want that. Swing the pendulum to the other extreme and it goes like this. It's anxiety because it's all up to me. What if I don't share the gospel? What if I don't share the gospel boldly enough? What if I don't share the gospel wisely enough? What if I don't share the gospel loving enough? And it's just like it's a crushing burden nobody wants to bear because it's all up to me. But the middle ground, guys, it's just this active faith God gave me a brain. God gave me energy. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to study. I'm going to make the best application I can. But then I'm going to beg God, you got to show up and bless the work of my hands, God. Because if you don't bless my efforts, one of my favorite verses in all the Psalms is Psalm chapter 127, verse 1. It says this, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It doesn't tell the builder to put down his hammer and his nails, but it just says, while we go about doing our work, God has to be there to bless it. But there ought to be this hope, this confidence, this anticipatory praise, even as you go along. Now, look uh, look at verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Everybody trusts in something, guys. Everybody boasts in something. And the question is just, what is it that you're ultimately trusting in? A lot of the surrounding pagan nations back then, they had horses and chariots. And that was like the ancient tank. They had, they had, it was the most modern piece of warfare available back then. And for most of Israel's history, they didn't have chariots. They didn't have horses. Certainly not when David was king. And just imagine even today, a battle where you had a bunch of infantry going against a bunch of tanks. Doesn't sound good. But they're saying the problem is, they're trusting in their artillery their weapons we're not we're trusting the name of our lord now again keep your finger there in psalm 20 flip over just one book to the right proverbs chapter 21 proverbs 21 look at the very last verse the horse is made ready for the day of battle but the victory belongs to the lord so guys there is nothing wrong with having a plan with using the resources that God's given you. What's wrong is when you put your ultimate ground of confidence in your plan and your energy. Does that make sense? Let let me give a couple examples here. Uh, Imagine if you had two guys that were arrested and they were charged with the same crime. And they both were saying, I'm innocent, I didn't do it. And they went out and they spent their money and they hired the best lawyer they could find as a defense lawyer. And as they were going into court, now let's just imagine we had some kind of super spiritual radar, x-ray, that we could see into their soul. As they're going into the court, one guy, we can see into his soul. And you know what he's hoping in? He's just hoping in, we got the best lawyer money can buy. This guy's going to get us off. He's a modern-day Johnny Cochran. We're getting out of here, man. And then let's imagine we can look in the other guy's heart and he's looking in that guy's heart and he's like, yeah, we we got the best lawyer, but I'm not hoping in the lawyer. I'm hoping in the Lord. I've been praying like crazy. I'm hoping the Lord blesses the lawyer. I'm hoping the Lord uses the lawyer, but the ground of my confidence is not the lawyer. It's the Lord. Does that make sense? And guys, here's the hard part. When we are put into a position, I mean, just think about that. My guess is most of us have never been arrested for a crime and put on trial, but if we were, I bet most of us would be praying really hard because we're like, I'm way out of my depth. I ain't used to this God. <laughs> the problem is most of us spend most of our time and energy in areas where we tend to be really gifted, right? I mean that's that's how you get a career. That's the way it ought to be. If if you have some questions today when we're done about legal matters, don't come ask me. I didn't go to law school. I was talking to a guy on the phone today. going through a divorce and I said listen if you got legal questions you got financial questions I'm the wrong guy talk to a lawyer talk to a financial advisor if you have spiritual questions I might be able to help you because that's just what I've spent my life doing it's harder to trust the Lord when you're operating in your strengths you understand what I mean because just a tendency of I'm good at this I've been here done this before and I've been pretty successful And it can be very subtle that we start to put our hopes and our strengths. Let me read you a quote by John Calvin where he talks about this. You know, if you're Presbyterian, you have to quote John Calvin once a year, you lose your credentials. So here's my uh, Calvin quote for the year. Whenever our minds are occupied by carnal confidence, they fall at the same time into a forgetfulness of God. It is impossible for him who promises himself victory by confiding in his own strength to have his eyes turned to God, however much power and resources they may possess. It nevertheless withdraws them from all vain confidence so that they do not expect any success, expect from the pure grace of God. Let Let me shorten that. You hear what he's saying? He's just saying this. It's impossible to trust yourself and trust God at the same time. So if you find yourself in certain areas of your life, trusting in your own efforts, how do you get out of it? You just pray more, guys. I mean, you you practically say, I've got to pray so in a sense I can take the little hands of my heart off of my own effort, quit trusting there, and start trusting God. Have any of you ever done any rock climbing or rappelling, anything like that? And if you've ever been involved with somebody, like they're going to rappel for the first time, and they've got the harness on and the rope and everybody, and there's a guy at the top of the mountain belaying them... And maybe you're walking them out to the edge and and they're holding on to you. And at some point you're like, you got to let go of me and you got to trust the rope. And it's like a conscious effort. Take your hand off of the person's arm, trust the rope. And guys, that's what we have to do oftentimes in the place of prayer. Prayerfully take the hands of our heart off of our own resources, put them on to God. Let me give two more very real examples. Charles Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers. Some people say that one of the greatest preachers of all time. Supposedly, he had two prayers that he prayed as he walked into the pulpit. Now, this this is what he was best at. But here's what he would pray. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And number two, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He's the best in the world, but he's like, God, I don't belong here. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it's going to be a waste of time. John Piper has a very helpful acronym It's been helpful to me. I I think it may be helpful to you in any arena. Aptat. So it's five letters. A-P-T-A-T. So he said, anytime that you're called upon to do something, the first thing is admit, admit, God, I can't do this in my own strength. Okay? Uh, P, pray. God, help me. Give me your strength to do it. T, trust. Trust that God's going to show up, that God's going to bless. And then act. Just take the step of action. Use your mind, your body, your brain, your resources. And then fifth, at the end, you thank him. Thank you, God, that you helped me. Now, here's what was very insightful when I heard John Piper teach this the first time. He said, most times when you go through this little acronym, ACTAT, you're not going to feel anything different. You're going to want to feel something, right? You're going to admit, I can't do this. You're going to pray, pray, God, please help me. And then when you start trusting, you're going to want to just feel like the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, maybe that will happen. But more likely than not, you're not going to feel anything. And you just trust God. You do the action. You thank Him that He's working even then. Okay. So, um, last point. Preaching. What do I mean by that? I really mean this. Preaching to yourself. Reminding yourself of past deliverances. And they're already starting to do it, and I'll show you what I mean. But verse 8, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Now, if you were an ancient Israelite, here's a little bit of Bible trivia for you, okay? If you were an ancient Israelite, and you thought about going into battle against chariots and horses, yes, that might bring fear and trepidation, modern-day tank, but what else? might it bring to mind if you were a really devout Israelite who read the Old Testament and paid attention? What would it remind you of? What's that? The Red Sea. Right? When they were a slave nation and they are crossed the Red Sea and the most powerful superpower of all time, Pharaoh's army is chasing them down with chariots and horses, and God drowned them all. Just like that. And it Literally, go read it. Exodus chapter 14, it says, They're standing on the seashore, washing the dead bodies wash up. And then they sing a song about it. The horse and the rider, he is thrown into the sea. See, guys, part of mature faith is that the places where we've experienced weakness and pain and terror and defeat in the past... We learn to say, that's where God really shows up. Remember what he said to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, your powers, my powers made perfect in your weakness. And we've got to learn how to practically do this in our own life, guys. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts by way of application. Um, I'll give you three. Do you remember the hymn? I don't remember what the hymn is, but I just know part of the chorus says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Guys, it's good when you're struggling with fear in the day of trouble to remind yourself of biblical deliverances. But I tell you what's almost just as powerful is to remind yourself, preach to yourself times in your own life where God has shown up and delivered you. Reverend Barker, here's one of my favorite Reverend Barker stories. This is when he was early in ministry. A young Christian, just started Briarwood, and there was some kind of summer camp thing they had in Briarwood that some ladies ran where they tried to minister to a bunch of children and share the gospel with them, and they'd invited Reverend Barker to come preach, and so he kind of set in on the planning, and he was excited about it, and he said, well, I only see one problem with all your plans. And they said, well, what's that? He says, y'all don't have a rain plan. What if it rains and y'all got all these hundreds of kids, y'all, the whole thing's outside, what are you going to do with them? And the lady said, oh, it's not going to rain. He said, well, what do you mean it's not going to rain? How do you know? They said, we've been doing this for years. It never rains. He's like, well, you can't control the weather. They said, no, no, we pray about it, and God never lets it rain. And this is when he was young and in faith, and he's like, well, it might rain. Yeah. Well, he spoke, it didn't rain, and I think that's part of when his personal life of prayer and faith really started to grow. It was a practical example. Just pray, just trust the Lord, just see what he'll do. George Mueller has a, a pretty famous example. You know, he was the guy that ran an orphanage in England in the 1800s, I think. He wouldn't ask for money. And I mean, they're literally, the, the story that stands out to me the most is one time they wake up, they got all the orphans coming down to breakfast, they got no food in the house. And the servants are kind of like, what do you want us to do? Tell all the children to sit down at the breakfast table. Well, then what are you going to do? I'm going to thank God for the food we're about to receive. They're like, we don't have any food. And he said, I'm going to pray anyway. And literally, as he starts to pray over a table with nothing on it, knock on the door. And there's a baker. And he said, God woke me up last night and told me I had to bring you some bread. Here's bread. And right behind him, there was a guy with a milk wagon Whose wagon had broken down? He's like, I've got all this milk; it's going to spoil. Can I just give it to the orphans? I'd rather it be used than go to waste. Now that's pretty supernatural. Most of the time, that's not how it's going to happen in our lives, right? Let me let me give you a practical, personal story. Uh, I work for a ministry, campus outreach. We raise our support. This is my 25th year, so there have been more than one years where we get. To the end of the year. And it's like the money's not looking good. And I'm doing my part. I'm making the phone calls. I'm sending the letters. But it's like it's not coming in. And that's not a fun place to be in. But you know what? 25 years in. I've never ended the year in a deficit. And so now. If we start to have a bad year. I really. I want to do my part. I'm going to make the phone calls. I'm going to send the letters. But there's a sense of. ah, Not apathy. I'm doing my part. But it's like. I have trust. I have confidence. God is going to come through. Why? Because he's done it every single year for the past 24. My wife, and she knows, if you're like, does he know that he shares stories about her like this? Yes, she knows, okay? Uh, My wife has 100 godly gifts, and there's a lot of sins I struggle with that she doesn't struggle with. She does tend to struggle with worry just a little bit more than I do. Part of it, I grew up middle class, Okay? weren't filthy rich, but we were very middle class. My wife grew up dirt poor. And she remembers what it was like to come home and like the lights be turned out because the light bill hadn't paid. So when we have kind of tight financial situations, she tends to worry more. And part of what I try to say to her in the most love, loving and gentle voice that I can, you know, well up is, baby, I understand you came from a hard background and it can bring some fear and trepidation, but the reality is we're not filthy rich, but we've never had the lights turned out. And you've been married to me almost half your life. And the Lord's been blessing us. Take the hands of your heart off of your old experiences and put them onto the new experiences that you've been experiencing in Christ. Does that make sense? Because we all have some area where we need to do that. Almost done here, guys. Okay. Um, look at the very last verse. Oh, Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So, Lord, look look what happens here. God, save the king. Because in one sense, they're identifying with the king. If the king wins the battle, we win. Right? The whole nation wins. So save the king. And, Lord, when we talk to the king, bless the king so he'll answer our request. Do you see how perfectly... This is fulfilled. Even better than this psalm applies to King David, it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the true son of Israel. I mean, some of y'all may have been listening to all this like, this is interesting, but I don't live in a monarchy. I don't have a king. If you're a Christian, oh, yes, you do have a king. And it's a great thing that we have a king. Because he chose to identify himself with us. He sees all our sin, he sees all our weakness, he sees all our fear, he sees all our apathy, he sees all our anxiety, and he says, Father, I want to identify with those people. I want to go in. I want to live as a substitute in their place. I want to go to the cross. And guys, one of the most powerful ways that the Lord Jesus Christ identified with us is he had to suffer through unanswered prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was begging the Father, if there's any way out of the cross, I want it. And there wasn't. And he was willing to suffer through unanswered prayer. He was literally willing to suffer through the wrath of God for us. But then two days later, he rose again. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He won. And in him, we win. And so, even if you're like, I'm a brand new Christian, I don't have any great stories of grace to preach to myself, you got that story. If you're in Christ, the life, death, and resurrection is part of your personal story. And so when you're struggling in a place of prayer and fear, you can say, Hey, God, you won the day through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it again for me today because I'm marked with his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please make us into the men of prayer you want us to be. We pray all this in the name of Christ that we've been marked by. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.